As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $3.99 a month. With me today, as always, is my good friend, Alex Spears. And Alex, tell us what happened this week in the NBA. What's up, Andrew? Well, it all began Friday night in Memphis where the Grizzlies were down 103-102 with six seconds left. Ja Morant got the inbounds pass, drove into the lane at Jokic, and put up a potential game winner that missed. But Andrew, the referee closest to the play, raised his arm in the air, the universal signal of I am calling a foul. But as it turned out, the ref was actually raising his arm for a foul that would occur in the future. Because one second later, Brandon Clark committed the foul that the ref had predicted, and the Grizzlies lost. On Saturday night, five players recorded a triple-double in a single night, the most in NBA history. On Sunday and Monday, we saw the highs and the lows of what has been a roller coaster season for the Golden State Warriors. On Sunday, the Warriors beat the NBA's best team, the Utah Jazz. Great win. On Monday night, however, the Warriors lost their eighth game this season by a margin of 20 points or more, falling 128-97 to a short-handed Lakers team. On Tuesday night, the Portland Trailblazers were down 17 to the Pelicans with six minutes left. Damian Lillard scored 20 of his 50 points on 20 shots in the final quarter, including a pair of free throws with 1.2 seconds left to give the Blazers the win. On Wednesday, the trade deadline floodgates were opened, Andrew. We had two trades. First, the Oklahoma City Thunder traded Trevor Ariza to the Miami Heat for a 2027 second rounder and a contract that required the Thunder to immediately notify the world that the player linked to that contract would never touch a Thunder jersey. <laughs> Next, the Milwaukee Bucks, our wheel of fandom team, Ooh. 
made another all-in move in acquiring P.J. Tucker from the Rockets. And oh, by the way, remember that cute little record for most triple-doubles in a night that was set on Saturday? Old news, delete your tweets, because Wednesday night saw six players record a triple-double. And finally, on Thursday night, our Washington Wizards, the original Wheel of Fandom team, the team we helped to turn their season around, beat the NBA's best team, the Utah Jazz, to move to 10 games under 500. <laughs> what a week it was, Andrew. It was a really fun week. Uh, another great week. I love the NBA. And it's I, I think this next week could be even the most fun just because the trade deadline is always a great thing. And that is my most interesting thing of the week. We've already had uh, three trades done, and the uh, the headliners are not uh, big-time players. P.J. Tucker is the most important player traded so far, followed by, I guess, Hamadou Diallo and then Trevor Ariza, mostly because Hamadou Diallo's actually played games and Trevor Ariza has not. Uh, and what about Tory Craig? Where do you put Tory Craig on that list? Oh, boy. Do you put Tory Craig before or after Trevor Ariza? <laughs> I mean, honestly, that that is definitely in the who cares territory of NBA trades. I'll tell you yeah, that. Uh, but uh, Mark Stein just reported, and I guess this isn't, I don't even know if this is a report, but the Clippers are after Lonzo Ball. And one... I don't know that there's a lot of Lonzo trades that make sense because I do think that he's a good young player. He's 23 years old. He is going to get paid this summer. But if I'm the Pelicans, you have to get something really nice and really enticing. And I'm just failing to see what the Clippers could possibly offer. Like the next first round pick they can trade is 2027. So you offer like unprotected 2027 pick for Lonzo Ball? Is that is that good enough? Does that entice you, Alex? No. Okay. No, not at all. You interested in a Fiondu Cabangele or a Terrence Mann? No. No. I just don't think they have the juice to get it done. I just, they not for Lonzo. I do think that there are some trades, however, to help the Clippers. And the Clippers need help. Like they have issues. Their issues to me are they need a, someone that can handle the ball, someone that can set up the offense is really what they need via trade. And they have a ton of constraints because of their roster construction. They're super close to the hard cap, which makes any deal pretty difficult. Uh, but I've come up with a couple trades that I think could help them. I think the most impactful player that will be traded this week could be George Hill from the Thunder. And that doesn't sound very exciting. <laughs> I get it. But I do think George Hill would be a pretty big upgrade for the Clippers. And so an easy trade between the Thunder and the Clippers that doesn't get the Clippers at the hard cap would be Lou Williams, Kevin Gelly. And then the, the really the value that the Clippers own is they have two second round picks from Detroit, which are in 2024 and 2025. And obviously they may mm -hmm. not have any value then. But, like, that's what they've got. So, in a who-says-no scenario, who would say no to that deal? I feel like the Thunder would say no to that, only because I, I do like the idea of Lonzo. Like, all for that. Like, yeah, if you could get Lonzo, that'd be great, because he does fill some of those same needs that someone like a George Hill would. He's just a lot younger. I mean, he's a really good three-point shooter, has good defensive potential. He can be a playmaker in the offense. All things that George Hill can do, but George Hill can do it a lot cheaper 
for you and probably oh. isn't going to cost you as much. Yeah. But because of that, he's going to be in much higher demand mm-hmm. from all these contenders because they're all going to think, ooh, we could potentially get him for not too much. So I don't know if two second rounders is going to do it. I feel like you could get a first round pick, a late first, to be clear, for George Hill. Yeah. Are you interested in that 2027 Clippers pick where the Thunder just own the Clippers draft capital in perpetuity? You know what? Why not? I Sure. I actually would be. If they would send it unprotected, <laughs> I would actually be, I would be outrageously excited for that. <laughs> like, if, have you been, have you been watching some highlight vids of 13 year olds getting pumped about the 27 draft? <laughs> Yeah, I've been, I've been hitting the streets, just seeing kids shooting, <laughs> shooting, shooting the basketball in their driveway. Uh, okay, another Clippers trade. I think there's a lot. It's really kind of difficult to find a player that fits the mold of is going to be traded, can be traded at this trade deadline, and can help you set up your offense. Like I threw around like the idea of a DeLon Wright for them from the mm. Pistons, which I think you could yeah. do. A similar trade, and you just give the Pistons back their picks, right? You say, just have them back, and we'll take DeLon Wright, and you can take, um, and you can take one of our salaries that's around this. With Patrick Beverly is one of them. Uh, There's ways to do it. So, like, does DeLon Wright interest you more than George Hill? Does DeLon Wright interest you more than George Hill? I think for a team like the Clippers, where you know. You, you saw what happened in the playoffs last year. Yeah. I think I would rather get the guy who has the playoff experience no doubt. in George Hill yeah. than entrusting all of that playmaking to DeLon Wright. Yeah. <laughs> DeLon Wright, probably not closing games for you <laughs> if you're the Clippers. No offense to DeLon Wright. Yeah. He's had a good year. He's good. Also, fake young guy. Like, he's 28 years old. I've, he, I will always think of Ooh, him as wow. much younger than that. Uh, okay. He'd be a good uh, birthday bash guy. He would be a good birthday bash guy. So... This one is a very serious. This is a serious trade, and I don't oh, know. I don't know if the Raptors are ready to move on from Kyle Lowry, but Kyle Lowry is exactly what the Clippers would need. If the Clippers got Kyle Lowry, I would be. I would be very excited to see a Clippers Nets Finals. I think that would be uh, amazing. So. Yeah. To get them there is really tough because the Clippers have have given away everything essentially at this point. So if the Clippers called the Raptors and said, hey, we will give you our 2027 unprotected first round pick, the two mm-hmm. picks from Detroit, whatever young guy you like. If you like Kevin Gelle, great. You can have him. We don't. Have, they don't have any young guys that are actually that attractive to anybody. <laughs> I like Kevin Gillette because I love the draft and I loved him in the draft and I actually really like Florida State guys. But whatever. And then to make the money work, it has to be Patrick Beverly, Marcus Morris. Is that just just the poo poo platter that they uh, deliver to them? Is that enough, or do they just say no way? We can get way more for Kyle Lowry. I don't know if they can get way more. I mean, a first round pick and two what seem to be good second rounders, maybe that makes sense. But pushing that first rounder all the way out to 2027 for a team like the Raptors, who still have you know a good core, even if Kyle Lowry left, mm-hmm. you still have Siakam, you still have Fred Van Vliet. I don't know if I would do that just because that first is so far away. If you were getting that first a lot sooner, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. But I, I feel like they could do better than that. Okay. So here's another Kyle Lowry trade that 
I think is at least interesting and might be too much for the other team to give up. And it's the Heat Ooh. and the Raptors. I think Ooh. you put Kyle Lowry on the Heat. Like that, that, terrifying. That's some juice. Like you're giving the Heat really something. Like that's a terrifying playoff team with Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry and Bam Adebayo. That's and Trevor Reza. Terrifying. <laughs> and Trevor Reza. Um, and I also think in this deal, you could get Norman Powell and Kyle Lowry. Norm Powell having a great year, likely to go into free agency and make a lot of money. So this is a big-time blockbuster trade. I think the okay. likelihood of something like this is very, very low. But for both of those guys, the Heat would have to give back Andre Iguodala and Goran Dragic to make the money work. And then Ooh. the compensation would be Precious Achua, Tyler Hero, and a first-round pick. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Andrew, no. <laughs> Isn't that, it's, I it's could way, never give up that It's much. way too much. But if you think about if the Heat were one, and I don't think the Heat would want to push all in now. I, re, I think that they believe in themselves as a free agency destination too much to do something like this. And I think you can keep their young guys and just develop and then just wait for good guys to come to your team. But if they, right. but if they saw an opportunity, because the Heat are playing really well right now. If they saw an yeah. opportunity, like we could go in the East. I think... Kyle Lowry, Norman Powell, and the other guys that are left on the Heat would win you the East. I can think that it could. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but to give up because I, I, as you were talking, I was like, okay, he's definitely giving away Tyler Hero. Yeah, fine. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll adjust to that. But then to also give up Dragic and Igudala, who I still do think will really help this team. Yeah, and I, I guess you're subbing out Lowry for Lowry, Dragic. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I. That is still just a ton to give up. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I think I, if I'm the Raptors, I'm not giving up Kyle Lowry unless I get a lot back. So I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. What if you took out Tyler Hero and it was just the first and precious, precious as like the main, the main pieces of that? Yeah. That's still better than that Clippers deal. Oh, it's way better than the Clippers deal. Way, way better. And that's why I think. I think they could get more than what the Clippers can offer. That, and that's the same with uh, maybe Alonzo deal does happen, but I would still be a little surprised. And I don't, I mean, Mark Stein's really good. And I don't think Mark Stein would just throw that out there if there wasn't some truth to it. But I, I'm, I'm skeptical that the Clippers can get much better than like a George Hill on the market. If, if the Pelicans did a deal with the Clippers for Lonzo, the Pelicans made a mistake. Agreed. Because there is just not a d- deal that is possible that would make sense yeah i totally agree anyways those are that's my kyle lowry i just there's not a lot of other landing spots one there's a lot of really good point guards in the league and he makes 30 million dollars and it's just it's really difficult to move that contract and the heat the heat have got some contracts they've got some ways to get better and they have younger players i think the heat are actually in a kind of prime position if not at the trade deadline but even in the summer to make a deal for somebody that actually matters. And so that they're, they're a team that I would just watch uh, that could get better because they do, they have the contracts and they have the assets to get there. Okay. The next team that needs some help is the Boston Celtics. They are struggling, Alex. They're eighth in the Eastern conference, just barely hanging on to a playoff spot. They're at 500. They're a complete mess. What are they going to do? I don't think 
that they should spend this TPE now because I don't see a player that's worth it on the market. I think if anybody, it's probably Al Horford, but I, again, I think we've talked about this on this show that it requires like tail between your legs going back to Al Horford and saying, okay, like, come on back to the, come back right. on this team. The contract that we wouldn't offer you will take you, we'll take you back. I just don't, I have a hard time believing that that will happen. Uh, I think it would be a positive thing for them, but I, I, I think they should hang on to it and wait until the summer and see all the options that they have. Uh, and it would also just allow Danny Ainge to, to talk about what giant deals he could have had at the deadline with it uh, and not actually get things done. But I do think they have an opportunity to get better with some of the contracts they have now. They've, they have some depth issues. They also have issues that they have too many, like, guys that are, that play the big positions and not enough wings or guards that are that are good enough and so I've come up with a couple trades one has to involve George Hill because I think every trade that happens at this trade deadline involves George Hill but I think something like Tristan Thompson Aaron Neesmith for George Hill makes some sense is that enough to get them George Hill I definitely think it's enough for them to get George Hill I think the question is do you really want to give up your first round pick from last season and a second for someone who, you know, George Hill is older. He, you do have him under contract for next season. Yeah. You can pick up his and option for it, next year or you could let him go and it's only $1 million guaranteed. So I really like the contract aspect of it, but I don't know if Boston does that. It doesn't feel like a move that Boston would make. I mean, they never make in season moves, but what <laughs> about Romeo especially. Langford in for Neesmith? Yeah, Maybe. And, but if you're the I Thunder, yeah, like, what do you, I don't know that I re- really even want to do that. Right. Yeah. You, you would have to really like Aaron Neesmith to, to want to make and Aaron Neesmith, like, hasn't been very good for them this year either. So he hasn't, but he's a rookie. Give him time. I know. I know. I think he needs the Thunder incubator to uh to be good i i've just haven't seen a lot from from boston's young guys and but yes a a george hill deal centered around aaron neesmith better than the clippers deal that you uh previously sent so okay uh it's higher in the rankings yeah yeah definitely okay another deal celtics pistons deal the aforementioned delon wright and mason plumley to the celtics for tristan thompson romeo langford aaron neesmith which is I, quite I valuable like, i like that i i like that one a lot this, Actually. this is my favorite fake trade, <laughs> in fact. <laughs> and it's such a nothing trade when you think about it. But what they need most is playmaking, and they need just competent players. And Tristan Thompson's been fine for them, but Mason Plumley is a definite upgrade on Tristan Thompson. Uh, he's a playmaker. I think he could help them. And then you add a Andrew, guard. He had a... He- he had a triple double. <laughs> I, I know. I'm telling you. I think that he's helpful. He's kind of like poor man's um, Al Horford in a way, right? Big guy yeah. that can distribute. Uh, I, I think that he would be helpful. And then Delon Wright comes in. He's six foot five. He can play both guard positions. He can help you set the table a little bit. And he's not going to. And I, I think the key is he's not going to take away from the wings. That Boston, like Boston, needs to get the most out of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and I think that he could help complement them more than he does, like take away from what they do. Yeah, I actually like that deal more for Boston than I do for Detroit. 
Um, Cause you're bringing back Aaron Neesmith. You have a lot of wings now that you're developing with Sadiq Bey, Hamadou Diallo, yeah, even Josh Jackson. Yep. Um, they, they would have to really like Aaron Neesmith, I think, to move off of Plumlee. Yeah. But uh, do, do they, I mean, they were obviously excited to sign Plumlee. They, they went out and aggressively pursued him. Do you think they really want to move him at this point? We know they don't want to move Jeremy Grant. Yeah. They've no, they don't want to hear about that. Definitely not Jeremy Grant. For Mason Plumlee, I'm like, who cares? Like, who really cares? Like, well, that's <laughs> how I feel too. But they also <laughs> just signed him to a big deal. So I, know I don't know how did. to feel. I know they did. But if you get the chance to to just see, I mean, if if you're a franchise that doesn't really have a clear direction of, of what's happening in the next couple of years, acquiring as many wings as possible that are on rookie scale deals and just seeing what sticks is not a bad idea. Yeah. Not a terrible plan. And then you get a set like the, the Thunder second is worth quite a bit. I think it'll be in the it'll be in the thirties. And that is this year's second? Yeah, twenty twenty one. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like that deal. Yeah, so I I would, I think that's probably my favorite deal. And I think that that helps the Celtics tremendously. Uh, okay, the next player that I think could be traded uh, is Spencer Dinwiddie from the Nets. Now, the Nets are already a very scary team. I They have the best odds to win the championship right now. They've played really well without Kevin Durant. And even their defense has been okay without Kevin Durant. And James Harden's role is has been increasing, and he's looked a lot better. Kyrie Irving, you haven't really heard a peep from Kyrie. He's just scoring like a madman and helping them. They have this slot with Spencer Dinwiddie, and I, and Dinwiddie, I don't think fits this team any longer. I just don't know where he he needs the ball in his hands. He's he's a guy that just he needs to control the offense to a degree himself, and he's that's just not it's not available for him anymore. So I think trading him. And filling that slot is kind of important. So, because Spencer can opt out if he wants to. And I wouldn't be shocked if he, if he did. Uh, because he could make a lot of money. I actually kind of expect him to opt out. So, if, you, if you're trading for him, you're basically just getting his bird rights and the chance to sign him. So, a couple teams, I think, could use him. Uh, one is the Nets, or the uh, Pelicans. I think the Pelicans need someone to help them organize their offense a little bit. And we talked about Lonzo. Maybe they do deal Lonzo. Uh, and I, th- I think a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie could actually be pretty helpful to them. And so there's a simple just swap of Spencer Dinwiddie for J.J. Redick. And J.J. comes in. He's expiring. That's probably helpful for, this, for the Nets books. And he's just a veteran shooter off the bench. Yeah, I would say that does feel like selling low on Spencer Dinwiddie because Dinwiddie was really good last year. Um, But given the contract situation, it's kind of limited in terms of what kind of value they're going to be able to get back. Yeah. I would almost just rather hold on to Dinwiddie and because you have his bird rights, like sign him to a deal this summer and then try to move him once he's healthy. Mm -hmm. But who knows? I mean, he might just want to go to another team. So that, that would be a gamble as well. You'd have to know that he still wants to sign with the Nets. Right. So I think if they know that he doesn't and he's going to be a free agent, he's probably going to sign somewhere else regardless, then in that case, trading for someone like J.J. Redick makes sense. Yeah. And then, <laughs> because it's a trade deadline of 2021, and George Hill makes a ton of sense for the Nets as well. Oh, George Hill. How about this? George Hill and Mike Muscala for Spencer Dinwiddie. 
and then the Thunder would basically they would get some kind of pick compensation back. Maybe Nick Claxton would be the compensation, yeah. which I think makes a lot of sense for both teams. And the Nets get two shooters, one of which can play really good defense. One, like Mike Muscala, if he's your third big, like who cares, right? Like he's helpful and he's not going to throw a fit in the locker room or anything like that. He's actually going to be helpful to that. And then Claxton comes back to OKC and they can like really develop him. I think like they can start him play him 35 minutes a game and see what he's got. I think that I think that helps. And then the Thunder basically would probably sign and trade Dinwiddie and get maybe like a fake second and then a some kind of trade exception back. Like and to me that's probably enough if you get Nick Claxton back. Now the biggest problem with this trade Andrew is that if you're bringing in Claxton how are you going to be able to develop Moses Brown now, Andrew? <laughs> Starting I center. I know. Nick Claxton is basically Moses Brown if Moses Brown wore his pants at the right height uh, instead of pulling them up over his belly button. They're very tall. Yeah, I don't know about that. If, if you're the Thunder, you have to have a very clear idea about what you're going to do with Dinwiddie. Because um, obviously they have a ton of cap space this summer. They could overpay him if they wanted to just have an asset on their roster that they could then use in a later trade. Mm-hmm. He can come back, you know, get back to health, develop again. So I, I, I don't know. That, that would be a really long-term move for flipping George Hill. Yeah. I would almost prefer just to get pick compensation than have to worry about that. But Yeah. No, I, I got you. I, just, I think that there's something there, though. And, that, and it also just kind of opened my eyes up to the fact that the Nets, already a scary team, could get – a lot scarier. I mean, if you add just another shooter or another guy like a George Hill who can shoot and defend and handle a little bit, then you're like, oh, okay. Like they, they are probably going to steamroll to the finals if they can actually get better at the deadline. Yeah, and that that doesn't even count what they could possibly do in the buyout market. So exactly. Yeah, it's terrifying, yeah. and that's why, like, for a team like Boston, normally I would be like, Danny, you must use this TPE right now. You can't play with them any longer. But in this season, and I've heard a couple podcasts say this, like a lot of teams are trying not to make huge decisions based on the results of this season alone. Yep. And I think there's an argument to be made for the Celtics, which is just like, hey, maybe this isn't a lost season. Like we're still going to make the playoffs, but this isn't our year. Yeah. So why, why give away our best assets now? Why don't we just wait till the summer? There might be better players available at that point. Yep. Just ride out this season and then see what happens in the summer because – Brooklyn is looking terrifying. Yes, they are. And I I think that a lot of teams, if we don't see a lot of trades, I would say one of the big reasons is that people are just going to punt this season altogether and say, it's weird. We're just going to recognize that it's weird and we're going to move on. Right. All right, Andrew. My most interesting thing of the week was what's been going on with the Atlanta Hawks. So a quick review. Remember, they had the huge offseason. And I think uh, we would both agree we didn't love that offseason because uh, I think we would say that they they seem to be rushing things a little bit. They were bringing in guys like Danil Gallinari and Bogdanovich for a team that wasn't really that close to the playoffs last year. And it seems like they were just setting themselves up to be another mediocre East team. You would agree with that, right? Totally agree. Totally do not agree with what they did in the offseason. You were mad about it, but they started off okay. They were about a 500 team, and then DeAndre Hunter got hurt, and the team kind of fell apart. 
And then you, the athletic report came out about John Collins calling out Trey Young in a film session. Yep. After Lloyd Pierce was fired, we learned that multiple players, most importantly Trey Young, did not really get along with Lloyd Pierce going back to last season. Well, what has happened in the interim for this team that seemed very dysfunctional from the outside is that they are now 7-0 and in their last seven games, the longest winning streak in the league currently. They're back over 500 at 21-20 and for the first time since late January. So what's changed? Well, obviously, they have a new coach, Nate McMillan. Yep. And while he might not be the most exciting choice, he is very well respected, and he's proven. He took the Pacers to the playoffs four straight years. They won 48 games in back-to-back seasons two of those years. And in the last two seasons, he coached a top-six defense in Indiana. And that's important because during this current run, this seven-game stretch, the Hawks have been eighth in offense, which – not that surprising. You know, even under Lloyd Pierce, they were 12th in offense. So they yeah. were we always knew they were good offense. But they've been 5th in defense. Now they were 23rd in defense <laughs> under Lloyd Pierce. Oh, no. They're now 5th in defense in those 7 games. This is not good for Lloyd Pier- Pierce's resume. This is not good. It's kind of wild. And yeah. credit to Nate McMillan cuz watching this team, you know, as Thunder fans, we actually got to see them right before Lloyd Pierce got fired, February 28th, and then last night. And the difference in the defensive activity from the jump it was, was wild. Yeah, it was strange. It was it was as if that were I, I couldn't honestly I could not believe it was the same team. It was it, weird. It looked like a completely different team. And the crazy part is it's not that it's not like they suddenly, you know, they bring in Nate McMillan and everyone comes back, they're all healthy again. No, Capella, arguably their best defender. He missed three games in this Mm -hmm. recent run. DeAndre Hunter, arguably their best defender, has been out since early February. Cam Reddish has been out this entire time. Chris Dunn still hasn't played this season. If you looked at last night, that game against the Thunder, the most minutes played were Capella, great defender, but then Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Danilo Gallinari, Bogdanovich. Like, not necessarily a murderer's row of defenders. In in fact, probably bad defenders. Probably bad defenders, (laughs) yes. (laughs) So it's it's been really impressive what they he's done in such a short amount of time just in get getting this team to play with some energy mm-hmm. on the f- defensive side of the ball. The other guy I want to point out though is Danilo Gallinari. So previously under Lloyd Pierce, he was only getting 21 minutes a night. In these last 7 games, he's getting 30 minutes a night under Nate McMillan and he's really responded. He's been the second leading scorer on the team during that stretch, averaging about 18 and 6. He's been stabilizing those bench lineups. And prior to this winning streak, he had scored more than 20 points only twice this season, and he's done it four times in their last seven games. So getting him to where we saw him last year with the Thunder playing a really big role and then getting Bogdanovich back because Bogdanovich is the one player who has come back during this stretch. Although I will say, like, it hasn't like it hasn't been like he's been amazing. In the, in the first six right. games of this stretch, shot five of 27 from three. Last night, he finally breaks out, mm-hmm. shoots five for nine. So the question is, is this real? Now, the argument against it, the Debbie Downer argument is, well, look at who they just beat. Yes, they beat Miami. Great team. Surging team. The other six teams, Orlando, Toronto, Sacramento, Cleveland, Houston, and OKC. That stretch included every team in the bottom four of offensive efficiency. (laughs) Orlando, Cleveland, Houston, and OKC. And then you look at their upcoming schedule, which has to be one of the most difficult stretches for any team this season. Mm -hmm. It is an eight-game West Coast road trip. Lakers, Clippers, Kings, Warriors, Nuggets, Suns, Spurs, Pelicans. That is brutal. If they get through that, 
at 500, like four and four in those games, that will be super impressive to me. A miracle of sorts. Yeah. Now, so th- so that's kind of like, okay, maybe this is maybe they're not an 82 and 0 type team. Yeah. You know? But the good news, even in light of this upcoming schedule, even in light of the bad schedule they just played, DeAndre Hunter is making his return soon. And we saw earlier in the year, he was probably the second best player on that team, one of their most probably their most important defender on the team. And he's already gone through a four on four scrimmage on Wednesday. Seems like he was going to make this eight game road trip. Mm -hmm. Similarly, Chris Dunn is going to be joining the team on this upcoming eight game road trip. So they're getting some reinforcements back at exactly the right time. And I'm starting to get a little excited about the Atlanta Hawks. They're fun. They were really fun last night. And with those guys, you you'd think they would be at least competitive in all of those games. And it's certainly possible that they get it together and get in the playoffs. So one, also because the East still is horrific. And really, oh, terrible. everybody's still in it. <laughs> that's And that's what they have going for them, is that even though they had a very, very bad start and have changed coaches, it doesn't matter. You're still in it because you're in the East. Okay, Andrew, now before we get to Wheel Fandom... Let's do a little birthday bash. Blow out the candles, get your cake, and eat it too. It's the birthday bash. It's your birthday. Somebody in here, it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Somebody in here, it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Everybody move like it's your birthday. As always, I give you the name of two players who had birthdays in the past week. You tell me which guy is younger. Last week, you had a great week. You got four out of five, Andrew. You fought your way back to seven and eight overall. Just one game under 500, fighting for that play-in game. So here's the first name, Andrew. Steph Curry, Blake Griffin. Oh, my. Uh, I will say Steph Curry is older. Steph Curry is older. He turned 33 this week. Blake Griffin turning 32. Next up, some some sharpshooters. Tim Hardaway Jr., Reggie Bullock. Oh, my. That's a weird one. I'll say Reggie Bullock is older. He is older. Reggie turned 30 this week. Tim Hardaway Jr. turned 29. Next, we have some veterans. Patrick Patterson, Solomon Hill. (laughs) Dupat has to be older. Please. That is correct. Patrick Patterson turning 32 this week. Solomon Hill, 30. Andrew, you're on a crazy streak. Three in a row. Now let's jump in the time machine. Danny Ainge, Sam Bowie. Oh, okay. Uh, Sam Bowie's older. Oh, that is incorrect. Sam Bowie turning 60 this week. Danny Ainge, 62. And finally, Andrew, I'm changing up the rules. I'm giving you four guys. Three of them turned 27 this week. One of them turned 26. You have to tell me who turned 26. Okay. Chris Dunn, Jabari Parker, Terry Rozier, Joel Embiid. Jabari Parker. That is correct. Another four out of five week for Andrew. Amazing. And with that, before we get to the Wheel of Fandom, let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Andrew, it is time for our favorite segment of the week, the Wheel of Fandom, the segment where we spin a digital wheel. It chooses a team. We follow that team for the next week. And this week, it chose the Milwaukee Bucks, 26 and 14, third in offense, eighth in defense. Quick week in review. They play the Washington Wizards twice beat them both times on the road, and then on Wednesday night, an overtime defensive thriller against the Sixers. <laughs> the Bucks were 3-0 this week. Andrew, if the Wheel of Fandom chose the Milwaukee Bucks, who is our guest this week? It's my guy, Eric Name. Eric, what's up? Man, this, this is, I love this. Like, I just got so excited. That's the best introduction I think I've ever gotten at any point in my life. <laughs> like, there was so much excitement. I'm so in. <laughs> this is an exciting show. That's what we do. We love the NBA. Uh, exciting thing that happened, and we actually believe the Wheel of Fandom did this for us, is that the Bucks traded for P.J. Tucker. And Tucker in December had a quote where he said, it's not even just getting a contract extension. That's not the total goal. To be in a place where you're wanted, I think that's what every player wants. Uh, it's a certain way to show that, and it's not just a contract extension. So... Essentially, my question is, do we think that we're going to get the P.J. Tucker from last season or is the P.J. Tucker from this season real? Because that quote just makes me believe that P.J. Tucker is going to be actually pretty good for the Bucs. I mean, I feel like we're playing a game of optimist or pessimist, right? Like sure. that That's really what it is, is if you are a Bucks fan and you want to believe that your team just made a big trade and this person's going to be very impactful, of course you're getting the other P.J. Tucker, the P.J. Tucker that isn't shooting 31% from the three-point line and looks totally unenthused and, <laughs> no. and not interested in playing basketball. Like, you would hope that it's the other guy. And, you know, like in the story I wrote, I got some clips of him going toe-to-toe with LeBron. Mm -hmm. I got clips of him going toe-to-toe -toe with Anthony Davis last year in the playoffs. So it's... Six months ago, it was in there. Like that person was in there and you have to wonder like, okay, he's 35 years old, 10th year in the league. Is this getting to a point where maybe he just doesn't have it anymore? Maybe that's the case, but I think ultimately you're thinking that just being in a place that doesn't lose, I don't know, every game is going to make him more enthused. So I do think you're going to get closer to the old version of him. I think what gets tough is that he really in Houston, I cut a, a clip in the story I wrote, for 10 seconds he stood in the exact same place. Yeah. Left corner. Right. He didn't. He literally didn't move. Like mm -hmm. did not move. Stood there and got a wide open corner three because James Harden's really good. And... That's not going to happen in the Bucks offense. Like Giannis is a very good passer. He's a very good creator, but that's not how the Bucks offense is. You don't get to just stand in the corner. You have to move around. So I think that's going to be the interesting adjustment is what can he give you offensively when his main skill is, is really a, a corner three-point shooter? And so if we're being optimistic about P.J. Tucker, what are your thoughts on the value then that was given up? Because I thought it was a really interesting construction of a trade, especially for a team that was so close to the hard cap. 
I was really impressed, if I'm being totally honest, because I went into this saying, you know, they can't trade a first round pick. And then somehow they target a player that's with a team that somehow has their 2022 first round pick. So then they can get their 2022 first round pick back and then swap their 2021 first round pick for a second round pick, which is probably like eight to nine picks back. And really, that's the only thing that that happens in the trade, right? As far as a pick perspective, it looks like they're giving up two first rounders, but really they swapped one and then they moved back eight spots in this year's draft. So I thought it was super creative. Something I obviously didn't think of uh, going into it, which is probably why I'm not an NBA GM, um, but I didn't think of it. It was super creative. They found a way to do it. They also managed to get off a DJ Augustine contract that really appears not to be worth it. They they signed him to be the backup point guard. It just looked like he wasn't really fitting in in Milwaukee. So in some ways, they get off of that contract. They give up DJ Wilson, who was out of the rotation, mm-hmm. and they get a guy in PJ Tucker that if you get that version we were just talking about, now you have your small ball option. That That's always been the concern this year is Pat Connaughton stepped into this role and Mike Boonholzer will tell you he's been very good at it. Uh, I think Bucks fans would tell you he's been terrible at it and they don't want to see him on the floor. Uh, but I, ultimately, he's shooting 39% from the three-point line. He's been good this year, even though Bucks fans might not like the contract or, or kind of how much he ends up playing. So he was your small ball option. And I think you could see in the biggest games when he's having to cover Kawhi Leonard when he's having to go toe-to-toe with Anthony Davis, it it just wasn't going to work out. He's not that size. Like, he's not big enough or quick enough to deal with that. The idea would be P.J. Tucker is. P.J. Tucker can handle the league's best wings, the league's best scorers. So uh, I I thought it was a super creative deal, one that I definitely did not see coming. Uh, and, And with him, you know, I think they have what in an ideal world is that small ball option that now they're more versatile. They're, they're able to play different ways when it really matters. And in the postseason, they kind of have the option that they need. Yeah. And you, you wrote in your piece on the athletic, which you should go check out. He wrote about like 10 things and it was, I I learned so much in your article. It was very well written. So go check it out. But one of the things you talked about was the rotation and whether or not he would start and you don't think he's going to start, but what do you think the rotation looks like with Tucker in place? Yeah, I think, you know, you kind of see this year, they've been looking for kind of like their backup four. Uh, Bobby Portis kind of serves as the guy that comes in for Brooke Lopez. And then the backup four, they kind of had Thanasis Stedekumbo in there a little bit. And Thanasis is, I mean, I don't even know, uh, an energy drink as a human being. Like he's just uh, he's just a human Red Bull because uh, he comes in and he's all over the place. He flies around. But like there's not that that requisite level of skill. Uh, that that you really need in that role. So, you know, I think it's probably going to involve chopping him out of the rotation. And then that means you bump Dante DiVincenzo down a little bit to play some more backup point guard. And then that means you move Chris Middleton down a little bit. And then that means you move P.J. Tucker, maybe some small forward minutes. And then when you're closing games, I think that's kind of where it gets interesting because the Bucks have had to made the, make the decision all year long is, are we going to put Brooke Lopez in in the final five minutes? And if Brooke Lopez is in, that's great. But if he isn't, I think that option is now P.J. Tucker. So honestly, it's it's going to be really interesting how Bud tries to figure this out because it's, it, it's a role that's, I think, in an ideal world, very situational. But if you're trying to get a player comfortable, uh, 
situational minutes aren't fun to deal with, right? Like, hey, mm-hmm. you might play 30 minutes tonight or you might play 15 minutes. Like that can be really tough to deal with. So it's going to be fascinating to see how they try to try to make this work because in an ideal world, he's playing that that small ball big opposite Giannis Dedekumbo, but also you might not need that every single night. So that might mean maybe a little bit of small forward and maybe a little bit of backup power for it. So I'm not 100% sure. It's going to be really fun to see how they try to get him used to it because Mm -hmm. I think ultimately you want him kind of in like the 25-minute per game range uh, during the regular season and then save those legs so that if you need him for 35 a night in the postseason, you have that he's fresh and he's ready to go. Right. And and that kind of... I want to shift more to big picture because one of the more interesting things about the Bucks this season has been all these strategic changes they've been making in preparation for the playoffs. And you actually wrote a great article about this last week. And specifically, you focused on their increased switching on defense, the addition of the dunker spot on offense. What is your current assessment and confidence level for how these changes will translate into the playoffs? I think offensively, I have very few concerns. I think, you know, we haven't seen the Bucks offense be this efficient ever under Mike Budenholzer. This is the most efficient they've been in the last three years. And that's not to say the offense was bad in previous years. I think they were something like third in offensive efficiency in Bud's first year, eighth in his second year. But this has been either the top offense or the, the second offense the entire league. So they can score. Having Drew Holiday around makes things a lot easier. Even in clutch time, you can you can just see more options. The other night, uh, as they close that game out against the Sixers, Drew Holiday hits some big shots. Brooke Lopez hits a shot. Dante DiVincenzo makes a play. Like You can see that they're going to be better in those moments. I think defense is where it gets really interesting because they are trying more things, uh, but it hasn't been wholesale changes. It hasn't been... We're a switching team now. That's all we do. And I'm. Like, it's not to say that that's what they should do, right? It's not to say you guys should switch every single possession or you should have a totally different defense. They need to have different pitches to throw. They need to be able to do different things. So it's important that they do these things. But I think the question will always be, did they get good enough at those things during the regular season? And is their right. base defense even good anymore? Like it, we've seen them struggle to run their basic drop coverages. We've seen teams around the league struggle with running drop coverages. Everyone's gotten better at playing against that. So uh, the the big question to me is they're around 10th in defensive efficiency right now. Is there a world where they can get back up to somewhere around five, even if it's just in the second half? Like even if just in the second half of the season, they can be the fifth best defense and maybe that puts them seven or eight somewhere in there. Like that is the big question to me is, can they get enough stops defensively and can they do it in enough ways? And I don't know that we've seen enough evidence at this point that suggests that they can, but we've seen more evidence that we've seen in the past that they can do it in different ways. And and the addition of Tucker has to make you feel better about that too. Absolutely. I think uh, someone like that makes it easier to go up against, I mean, you're going to have to go through Durant, right? Like that's going to, in the East, you're probably going to have to play the Nets. And if you don't have to play the Nets, you're going to have to play the Sixers. And the Sixers have a bunch of big wings as well. And P.J. Tucker can play a major role in that. And if either of those teams go with small ball lineups, okay, then you have your small ball center. So the addition of Tucker, I think, really does help as long as you're getting a guy that can still play, which, uh, you know, the optimist would say you are then I think this team is, you know, much better suited for the postseason and and can really find a way. It's just going to matter, you know, how much in the next 30 games we see P.J. Tucker get integrated and they figure out how to use him. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the elephant in the room. 
Giannis's case for MVP, back to back to back. It's almost dismissed outright. Like when people try to talk about it, it's like, nope, never going to happen. They try to talk about the people that have won three in a row and say that he can't be that guy. But he's had a great season. He's averaging 32, 12, and 7 over the past 10 games, shooting 59% overall, 36% from three. What are some of the biggest developments in Giannis's game this year? And does he actually have a chance? Should we take a closer look at this? Wow, that's... There's a couple of questions in there that are all interesting. Should we take a closer look at it? Yes, we absolutely should. He's putting up numbers that are comparable to everyone else in the MVP conversation. The Bucks are now uh, right in the mix in the top of the East. And I think if you kind of watch them, they've been playing. A, the thing I, I kind of, if you zoom out, they were 16 and 8 the night Drew Holiday went out for 10 games because of COVID. 16 and 8 was at the very top of the Eastern Conference. They were, uh, you know, the very best team in the East at that point. And then he goes out for 10 games. They go five and five across those games. They struggled a little bit as he came back. And now they're back at full strength. And oh, look at that. They're at the top of the Eastern Conference again. So this is a very good basketball team. So if you're talking about wins and how all that works, they're in that conversation. If you're talking about numbers, Giannis is in that conversation with the rest of uh, the MVP candidates as well. But I mean, ultimately, Everyone told me last year when Giannis was winning his second one, this was all based on narrative and ever all the voters have already made their up their mind and that's just going to be how it is. And LeBron was mad and Harden was mad and everybody was mad. And, you know, I think we I think we can kind of see that these things do happen, that, you know, voters will get in their minds that certain players should be involved or not involved. And I, I just don't see. And I said this at the start of the season. I don't think Giannis wins another MVP until he gets a ring. Yeah. And that yeah. that might be fair, that might be unfair, but I just think that's how it goes. Like I don't think media members that voted for Giannis enjoyed the last two postseasons where they voted for this guy for MVP. And this is it, this isn't fair. It's a regular season award. Like he had the best regular season the last two years, but I don't think they enjoyed seeing him get knocked out in the second round last year, seeing him lose in the Eastern Conference Finals the year before, that made them feel like, oh, maybe I should second guess how I vote and what I'm voting for. I don't like looking like I don't know who the best player in the league is. There, There's some level of ego in all of this as well. So I don't think he's going to be a part of the conversations. But if you look at any argument you can make, I think by the end of the year, he's going to have one of the very best in the league and he should be in the conversation. I just don't think he will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I just I th- I think that he should get a shot, especially with like LeBron feeling he's taking a step back, and like, Jokic is not winning enough, and Embiid is hurt, and everybody hates what James Harden did at the beginning of the season, and everybody's <laughs> like, well, maybe there's no MVP, and it's like, well, like Giannis is still there, like and he's still having a great season, so yeah. he should definitely talk about him at least. No, and and again, like I don't, it, it's not even to say like. I'm upset about it or it's some travesty against humanity or anything like Mm -hmm. whatever. It's the MVP. That's how it goes. But I think you can kind of see that we do go out and have certain ideas in our head about who the MVP is going to be in a given year. And we have certain ideas about what the season is going to be at the end of the year, because I think it gets super interesting and confusing if at the end of the year, the Bucks are number one in the East, which is not out of the realm of possibilities. No, uh, no. They're, they're right in it right now. And Giannis has the best numbers. Okay, so best numbers, best record in the league. And that guy didn't win MVP, but that's what 
won MVP the last two years? Like, what are we doing here? I think I think we probably get to that spot, and it's going to be really interesting to see how people try to explain and justify their vote without saying, well, I got to see him do it in the postseason. And then <laughs> right. if, if that's what you say, we're in a real pickle here as far as MVP voting goes, because at that point, you're just admitting that, like, well, we're going to make it up as we go. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right. Well, Eric, thank you so much for ask, or answering our questions about the Bucks. It's now time to answer some trivia questions about the Bucks because it is time for Andrew versus the Beat. Not Hashim. This is the uh, biggest trivia show in pod- NBA podcasts right now. I pair Andrew against a beat writer for a team. I ask them trivia questions about the team that the beat writer is most familiar with. And we go back and forth and see how Andrew does. So far, not very good. So how this is going to work, Eric, we're going to start with you. You're going to give me a number between one and eight that will correspond to a trivia question. Some may be easy. Some may be hard. If you get it right, you get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew has a chance to steal for one point. We'll go back and forth choosing numbers until all the questions have been answered. So, Eric, can you give me a number between one and eight? Before I do, I want to say I'm terrible at trivia and I'm terrified right now. I think Andrew's gonna make me look really stupid. I've been bad at trivia my whole life, so uh, let's go with uh, let's go with seven. All right, number seven. Yeah, in addition to the uh, point of this game being Andrew losing, it's also a great opportunity just to make everyone anxious about something that has uh, no meaning whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, Okay, question number seven: Who holds the Milwaukee Bucks franchise record for most points scored in a game? I believe it's Michael Red. That is correct. 57 points for Michael Red, the all-time franchise leader, most points scored in a game. Great start. That against Utah, and they lost in that game, if I remember. Oh, see, you know trivia. Look oh, at horrible you're showing at trivia. off now. What a joker. <laughs> I had to. I had to. If I had one chance, like if I, I, I started so well, it's like, all right, if I get this one right, like at least there's a high point. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Andrew, it is your turn. You're already down 2 0. Need a number uh, between one and eight. Number one. Number one. This current Bucks player 
has won two finals MVP awards. Is this Dante DiVincenzo? That is incorrect. Mm. Eric, you have a chance to steal for one point. This current Bucks player has won two finals MVP awards. Man, I honestly have no idea. Brooke Lopez? Correct answer. Newly traded P.J. Tucker, the 2008 mm. Israeli Premier League Finals MVP, uh. and the 2012 Basketball Bundesliga Finals MVP. <laughs> Weird. Okay, Eric, choose a number between one and eight. Uh, let's go with three. All right, number three. At the top of his basketball reference page, Giannis is listed as playing four of the five positions on the basketball court. What is the only position not listed on Giannis's basketball reference bio? Hmm. Uh, I'll go with shooting guard. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal for one point. Is it center? That is correct. Center, not on his basketball <laughs> reference bio. All right, Andrew, you're coming back. It's two to one. Let's go with five. Number five. When the Milwaukee Bucks were founded, there was a citywide contest to name the new team. Over 14,000 fans participated, and ultimately, the Milwaukee Bucks was chosen as the team name, despite Bucks coming in second during the fan vote. Which of the following names was the top vote-getter among fans in the contest? Skunks, Beavers, Ponies, Robins, Hornets. Ponies? That is incorrect. Eric, you have a chance to steal. Which of those names was the top book getter among Milwaukee fans? Skunks, beavers, robins, or hornets? Robins? That is correct. Oh, no. Robins is correct. All right. Eric moves to three and one. Uh, let's go with four. Okay. Number four. Giannis's first major award was the 2016-2017 NBA Most Improved Player Award. Which now three-time All-Star came in second to Giannis that year? What about like Marcus All? Good guess, but incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. I think this is Jokic. That is correct for one point. <sighs> Andrew moves within one with three questions to go. Six. All right, number six. When Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then Lou Alcindor, was drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks, it almost didn't happen. Kareem likely would have gone to the New York Nets of the ABA had they not underbid the Milwaukee Bucks on a contract offer. But even prior to getting to that point, the Bucks first had to win a coin toss to decide the number one pick in the 1969 NBA draft. Who was the team that lost the coin toss and the opportunity to draft Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Oh boy, I, I have narrowed it, no clue. Narrowed it down to some. It, it's an NBA team, so you got that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go with the Celtics. I don't. That know. is incorrect, mm. Eric. You have a chance to steal. Uh, the Phoenix Suns. That is correct. Wow. Did you know that, or did you just pull that out? I knew that one. Oh, nice. Okay, the score now. So there's a fun story from the coin flip. So it had to happen over a phone, right? Um, so it happens over a phone. The Bucks win it, and there's two owners for the Bucks. One of them is burning cigarettes, just burning <laughs> cigarettes in the room. Gets so excited, he burns the other owner's face with a cigarette that was in his <laughs> mouth, and they got together and were hugging, and he burned the other owner's face. That's how excited they were about getting uh, Lou Elsinder at the time, now Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That's amazing. 
And they were right to be excited. Okay, Eric, we have two questions left. Number two or number eight. What would you like to go with? Uh, let's go with two. All right, question number two. All right, this is an interesting one. Who are the That's top? That's what I want to hear. That's exactly what I want to hear. Oh, this is an interesting one. Great. Well, okay. well, this one's going to be different than our previous question. So you're going to name the top five in three-pointers made in Milwaukee Bucks history. You're only going to have to give me one name, though, and then Andrew will give me a name, and we'll go back and forth till you either get all the names and you get the two points, or one of you stumbles. So who is in the top five in three-pointers made in Milwaukee Bucks history? Uh, let's... Chris Middleton. That is correct. He is number three. Andrew? Michael Red. That is correct. He is number two. Ray Allen? That is correct. Ray is number one. So it's number four and number five left, Andrew. Can you get one of them? It's not Brook Lopez, is it? Brook Lopez isn't on this list, is he? He is not. Mm. Eric, do you, do you have any guesses for who the other two names are? Uh, is Ursan Elias Silva on the list? Yes, he is number what? five. Can you get number four? Ursan. Mm. Number four. What about, um, oh man, I don't know if he was there long enough, but he was chucking up some threes. Brandon Jennings? That is correct. Eric gets all five. Wow. wow. I was going to guess Jennings. Not good at trivia. Eric does amazing. Okay, <laughs> Andrew. You have officially lost. It is six to two, but you can still save some dignity with this last question. Okay. Two-time, should have been three-time All-Star Chris Middleton was acquired by the Bucks in a 2013 trade in which Middleton was somewhat of an afterthought. Who were the two players that headlined that 2013 trade? Uh, Jennings is is one, I believe, to the Bucks. Ooh, I can give hints if you want. Yeah, go ahead. I'll take whatever <laughs> uh, I can get. Also played point guard. Yes. Um, <laughs> More hints. Would have, would have played at the University Kentucky. Oh, Brandon and, Knight. That is correct. Brandon Jennings and Brandon yeah. Knight. All right. Well, I guess I'll, I'll give you a point for that, Andrew, even, even though we helped you out significantly. <laughs> no, that's a point. No, he gets a point for that. <laughs> so the final score, Eric beat Andrew. The beat writer beat Andrew six to three. Thank you for playing. Eric, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. We, you got to go read all of Eric's stuff, especially after you've heard all about the Bucks. You got to go learn more. Thanks for coming on, Eric, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Okay, Andrew. Well, we've come to the end of the show, which means it's that time again. It's time to spin the wheel of fandom. Which team will we be focusing on for the next week? We are down to 26 teams. Anyone you're especially interested in or, or that you'd like to guess? Throw out a guess, Andrew. Who's it going to be? I feel like whoever it is is going to be making trades. So let's let's Ooh, say... Let's say it's the, the Celtics and they make a big upgrade here. We okay. can bring on Jay King to talk about it. Here we go. Spinning the wheel of fandom. Who's it going to be? Last week was the Bucks. This week's team will be the Detroit the Pistons. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the Pistons. Another team primed for trades because this is this is a Sam Presti prodigy here that is... Uh, is is ready to wheel and deal so james edwards get yourself ready to come on uh the saturday slam and jam i'm, I'm excited I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of james he's he's a he's a great dude great podcaster and definitely a team where we might see some trades which that's what we just got to hope for yeah and if not then we'll, we'll just break talk down about isaiah how... stewart we'll break <laughs> down sadiq bay 
We'll do a Hamadou Diallo, like literally a full <laughs> breakdown of Hamadou Diallo for everybody. Oh, man. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. You can listen next week as we talk Pistons. We're going to talk about trades that happen, the most interesting things of the week. So be sure to tune in then. Hope you guys have a great weekend, and we will talk to you guys again next Saturday. Saturday.